If he would have told me when I talked to him, look, I had sex with her that night, she spent the night, and then we fell asleep, and then we woke up and I had sex with her again in the morning, I would have closed this case that day. Is that by saying that, by saying, by blaming it on the jury pool, you're essentially saying, we're not going to stop sexual assault, period. I mean, by taking that tag, they're essentially saying to perpetrators everywhere, you are free to rape because we think it's pretty hard to prove these cases. Was it a criminal sexual assault? No. Is he guilty of being, you know, less than a gentleman? Absolutely. Who in the hell is writing their opinion in a report, but I'm hoping it's not our agency. When the DA basically told me that because I was a filmmaker, I didn't have the credibility to stand up in court um, as a witness to my own rape, which is basically what you are, right? Because you're not the one pressing charges, the DA is. You're just a witness to something that happened to you, which is bizarre in itself, anyway. Um, I sort of moved away from directing a little, and I just went into producing for other people because it was seemed like a safer space to hide. Um, you know, like, because you're just serving other people as a producer, and everything I was making that I was directing was just based on rape and just around rape, and I just felt very stuck on that topic. But I had not come out to my whole family and to their friends and, like, to my community. And so, and I felt very much like it was something I had to hide. And I felt like I didn't know how to hide and and also come out as a filmmaker and, like, tell people what I was doing at the same time, right? Like, those two things are very much in conflict. So I, I just felt like I was in hiding. And I was starting to go mad because I realized this problem, it didn't just happen to me. It's happening to so many people over and over. And things are not changing. And even though you have Time's Up and Me Too, it's like, what is actually changing? Because Harvey Weinstein is, is on trial, but it's not looking that good. And we're not seeing all of these, we're not seeing a higher incidence of rapists actually get charged and go to jail. And what we really need, I, what I want to focus on is how can I help other people heal? Because a lot of people are suffering in silence. And that to me is the most heartbreaking thing. So the first thing I needed to do was like come out to everybody about the fact that I was raped so that I could stop hiding and I could just, you know, it's like, People, when, when you start writing scripts, they call the first you vomit draft. Or it's like, you know, when you're making pancakes, they're like, oh, it's the first pancake. Like, the first pancake is always kind of shitty. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I just need to start putting things out there and get used to it again and face that fear of, of what it means to tell my story and what kind of backlash is going to happen. It's like jumping off a cliff and I just needed to jump. And uh, I did. And the response has been amazing in terms of, my brother and I have never been so close. You know, he was really, really supportive. And he was like, oh, but you know, I think the videos could have been better. And I was like, yeah, progress over perfection. That's where I'm at. And he's like, wow, that's really brave of you. And uh, I mean, that's incredible, you know. And I have people messaging me, people that I haven't spoken to in like 10 years and 15 years saying, you know, it's so inspirational what you're doing and I'm so glad that you're doing this and this is so important. And, like, that means the world to me, you know? So it's very encouraging. And I'm like, yeah, people need and want this. And if it means me just facing my fear, then cool. I can do that. I want to share with people that 
exercise and self-respect are irreplaceable. Like nothing compares to the euphoria that you feel and the self-respect that you have for yourself when you're able to push yourself physically. And I go to a really fun um, circuit class called Training Mates in LA. So it was like uh, Luke, he was on Khloe Kardashian's Revenge Body. That's how I found the place. It happened to be really close to me. And I respect myself so much for making it to that class, getting through the entire class, and then walking home two and a half miles. And it has really helped me to train my brain. And brain training is really important. Meditation is really important. That's another form of brain training. And, like, I have taken an extremely active role in my healing my mental health. And anybody or anything that is not in alignment with me being in, like, my highest, mental health level I, I cut out it, it doesn't even matter it could be a five-year friendship it doesn't matter if it's not serving me to be better it just doesn't have a place in my life and like that's really you have to be really disciplined and it's hard it's not easy but it's necessary you just heard from filmmaker Vasha Van Hirtum who was in an episode a couple episodes back with her piece blame it on the karaoke since this episode is focused on healing, I wanted to talk to her a little bit about what her healing process was, especially because given the line of work she does and the type of art that she creates, the DA told her basically because of those things, that was the reason that her case wouldn't be considered credible in front of a jury, which is ridiculous. But I wondered how, given that that was such a huge part of her life that affected her and affected her path to healing, and how she feels now that she is healing and using her art and her work as a way to help others. So that's who you just heard from. And again, you can follow her on Instagram at light underscore source underscore pics. And I highly recommend you do. Her work is amazing. So this is going to be a little different. Every episode so far has been pretty much dedicated to highlighting systemic failures for people who choose to report rape. Today, it's not going to be like that. We're going to be speaking with someone who talks about healing and post-traumatic growth. So last episode, we talked about some of the ways that this kind of trauma impacts you, and today we're going to be talking a little bit more about that, but also the different ways that you heal, how you know what healing is, how you know when you've healed, and what you can do with your life after you heal if you just end up going that way. And I really appreciated this interview so much that I'm just going to jump right into it. So this isn't going to be the typical episode. There's hopefully going to be maybe some hope. Um, talk of healing and maybe even a little bit of optimism like who knows could could go any which way I first heard of the concept of post-traumatic growth while I just happened to be watching a webinar and the person who was giving the webinar was named Amy Morgan she has a master's of science in counseling and also runs a really incredible organization and so I wanted to speak with her about this and she was kind enough to give me her time and to be able to share so much wisdom about healing and talk about what post-traumatic growth is. My name is Amy Morgan, and I am the director and the owner of a company called Academy Hour. And through Academy Hour, I do um, mental health topics. I do training for law enforcement and first responders, and primarily online uh, training. So I have a whole online catalog of mental health leadership topics. And then I also do on-site, in-person training. So I'm traveling the country right now. Um, by myself, just training a, a class called the trauma of being a cop or have the trauma of, first, of being a first responder. Um, out of that came a secondary company called, uh, where I started a program to train counselors um, who wanted to work with first 
first responders. So I have the Certified First Responder Counselor Program where I'm teaching counselors um, the unique trauma of officers and responders and their unique culture because it's a bit different. And so just trying to get them prepared to hear all the difficult stories that they will hear. So I'm excited to be here on the podcast, excited to help in any way I can. The first thing that I asked her about was PTSD and trauma, and she had a lot of insight on the differences between trauma and actual PTSD and what constitutes traumatic events and traumatic responses. So before I do PTSD, I kind of want to just go into trauma because to explain what trauma is and what the what the effects of having gone through in a traumatic experience, it doesn't necessarily result in post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a um, diagnosable list of criteria that you have to meet certain um, criteria. You have to meet certain things that are happening and they have to be happening for a certain period of time. And then it's a whole combination of these elements that create the package that then it makes someone diagnosable for PTSD itself as a disorder. But trauma is um, the kind of experiences, there's a list in the DSM-5, which is where all these criteria are listed. Um, it's things like if you have, if you feared for your life or your safety, or if you watched someone else or heard someone else that you care about or know closely go through this kind of experience. So there's direct trauma, there's indirect and vicarious trauma. Um, it's if it was something that was, and the event was shocking or unexpected. And then if, if it goes against social expectations, and that is things like murder or torture, and it includes rape. Um, those are things that go against what is considered socially acceptable, um, what you expect in a certain situation. You expect um, a certain kind of treatment or a certain kind of respect for one another. These are the things that go against that, um, often in, in a violent way. So they're a violent thing, um, and, and often in these situations, sexual assault situations, you are uh, fearful for your safety and possibly even your life. So those are what the events or the incidents are that create, um, comprise a traumatic experience. So anybody having gone through any of those things, but also if what happens from it um, can be a lot of things, it can just you know be a couple of small minor things like you can have nightmares for a couple of weeks and then you're basically unaffected after that. Um, or you can, there's a whole list of things and it's can be things from, um, you know, stomach ailments to headaches to sleeplessness, um, anxiety, and, and then there's a whole long list. And so, so the more of these things that you're experiencing, the more intensely this experience has affected you. And so you're going to want to get help for those things. And then not the, not only the, the more of them or the quantity of them, but the duration of them. So the longer these um, effects start bothering you or affecting you, um, the more you're going to need to get some help in order to deal with it because it's just going to carry on and carry on with you and you're going to carry these around. So it's the kind of incidents and then it's the effects of it. And then um, it's a lot of the diagnoses say, say the same thing, but this is if it profoundly impacts your ability to function. So if you were a certain way before and you're able to do all of the things you're supposed to do in life and then suddenly you're finding yourself after this incident not being able to continue on with um, things the way you're supposed to, whether it's activities or caring for responsibilities, you know, you're just not able to focus the same. Um, it's impacting your ability to function. That's when you're going to also. So all, all of these things combined for a duration 
could be diagnosable PTSD, but you could just call them post-traumatic responses. And that's, you know, whether it's diagnosable as a disorder or not, you know you had trauma and you're having these effects of it. So a lot of this are things that we had mentioned in the last episode, and I do promise this is going to be different and take a different turn, but those were some things that I thought were really helpful to recap. What actually constitutes a traumatic event, traumatic responses, and what's the difference between going through a relatively normal life struggle that may feel really traumatic but not actually be considered trauma? Because the difference between that is so important, and when that goes misunderstood, a lot of survivors of sexual assault are misunderstood in their response and how much it changes them, and how much it impacts their ability to do the same things that they did before being sexually assaulted. Like I may have mentioned before, this showed up for me in my ability to focus on anything and get anything done, get my work done, get my schoolwork done, get anything done, and it still does to this day, two and a half years later, when something comes up, I can't eat, sleep, or focus on anything for like an entire week until some time has passed and I'm able to kind of like restabilize my life again. So anyway, I actually wanted to talk to her about that and clarify the difference between going through what would be considered a relatively normal, although substantial, life struggle and what trauma is. A life experience that someone experiences could be just devastating, you know, feel devastating to them. It's not necessarily a a trauma. I mean, we tend to say that about things that that are impactful to us. Oh, that was traumatic. You know, everyone's been through a breakup and you know, it feels traumatic at the time. Um, It is, it is life changing, but it's not necessarily, you know, criteria wise, it's not necessarily trauma. Um, You're not fearing for your life or safety. It's not against, you know, all of these things. Um, It's, you know, there's no violence involved, hopefully. I mean, if it's just a breakup and I don't mean just a breakup because I know that it's heartbreaking, but if it's a breakup, because someone says, I don't want to be with you anymore. Um, that's hurtful. It's hurt, but hurt and trauma are two different things. Trauma will include hurt, but hurt can just be hurt on its own without it being trauma. Um, so you can look at life experiences, just everything that happens to us over the course of our life. Some of those things are just, they feel devastating. You may have, you know, you may be someone who a breakup severely impacts you because it's it's rejection and it's hurt and it's betrayal and it's all these things. And it may be severely impactful, but then your next breakup might not be. So it's not even the thing that may be like, I don't handle breakups well, the next one you might. So um, it's not even the event that in that case that, that is considered traumatic to one person versus another. But we all handle things differently. And, it, and you may handle something when you're 18, that when you're 40, you're not able to handle it as well, or vice versa. So as we grow through life and we go through things and we gain wisdom and we, you know, have experiences that that change our view of the world or view of the people around us, we tend to start looking at things differently. Everything you do from day to day starts making you look at things differently, look at everything differently and look at people differently and different types of people differently and that sort of thing. And a lot of that is wisdom. It's it's if I go down a dark alley and something bad happens to me, the next time I see a dark alley, I'm going to have a bad feeling and I'm probably going to avoid it. That's just lessons learned. That's, that's wisdom and experience. Um, it's not necessarily a trauma, you, depending on whether, I mean, if it was a trauma, then yes. But if it wasn't and it was just a bad experience and you learned something from it um, and you remember it and you're not going to forget it, it was still a bad experience, um, you still can have a lot of bad experiences without them being considered trauma. 
but they're still going to teach you things and they're still going to change you. And, and everything you do, everything you go through changes you. Some things can change you for the positive. We're going to have a lot of life experiences that change us for the positive um, and not necessarily the negative. It was really helpful to get clarification between those two things. And she did mention that struggling is struggling. That's an objective fact. If somebody is struggling, they deserve to get help no matter what the issue is. But I do think it's really important to know that there is a very real difference between a struggle and a trauma. She spoke a little bit more about the different ways in which the brain reacts to trauma and how the brain is impacted after going through a trauma. And we talked about the same things with Dwayne Bowers a little bit, so I'm going to kind of skip through those parts and lead into my next question to her, which was something that referred more to people who have been through traumatic experiences and the way that they react. Because I know that I've spoken a little bit and definitely off the record with other people a little bit about how the way that we react to things and the way that we respond to things after going through a traumatic event like this where we're constantly fighting to protect ourselves and constantly fighting to prove that what happened to us is what actually happened to us and we're used to having to defend ourselves over and over and over again, how much that changes us. So I told her this in a little bit about how I feel that has completely changed me. I never used to be so defensive. My first thought when somebody would talk to me was never... Like, who are they? What do they want from me? And I never met everything with suspicion. So I talked to her a little bit about how I've heard from many others, including myself, that anger tends to be a more typical response sometimes than it ever has been before in my life. And so if you're someone who feels this too, or has dealt with this too, just know you're definitely not alone. In fact, you're in pretty good company. So anger reactions are... Um, it an experience like sexual assault changes your worldview. It changes how you see the world around you. Even if you're not trying to, even if you think, I'm not going to let this change me, it just does. And it's, and it's an unfairness, you know, like, why did this happen to me? Why does, why do I have to go through this? Or why am I still going through this? If you're dealing with all, you know, all the aftermath of it or um, an impending investigation that never seems to end or just, you know, someone is still a lot of a lot of um, assault has to do with people that are in the family or f family friends, or you still have to see these people. You know, it's not like you can just disappear. So it 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 seems like an intense unfairness. Um, that's probably the best, like the lightest way of putting it. It's it's just enough to change your worldview, where things do um, seem to make you angry faster than others, and you you are less tolerant what it does to you is changes um your ability to trust other people and if you are going through the world with a lack of trust towards people in general that can cause anger that can cause negativity it can just like i don't trust anyone you know that's not a positive that's not a positive um what am i trying to say but a trait a way of looking at things is to say that no one can be trusted but that's what it does to you it makes you distance yourself from people, um, makes it harder to connect on a real personal level with people um, because there's always a wall, always a, a guard up um, and all of those things. So, you, you know, you, I've heard that too, that, you know, people, I just feel angry all the time. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you have a right to, you're justified in that. Now, I'm not saying you want to stay that way. You don't want to walk around being an angry person because that's not good for you. 
So I would say get as much help as possible working through it, get EMDR therapy, but um, it's, you know, you're justified. You have a right to be angry. You have had something happen that, that you should be angry about. And if it didn't go, the event didn't go, but afterwards, whether you reported or whether you're just trying to deal with it, didn't go well and it hasn't gone uphill since and everything didn't go smoothly, which is typically the way this goes, you're going to be, you're going to remain angry. You, you have ongoing reason to be angry at the world and to hurt. I mean, it's hurt and hurt. All anger comes from hurt. And so you were hurt physically, you were hurt emotionally, you were hurt all sorts of ways and it's sticking with you. So ongoing anger is, is completely acceptable. I mean, if, you know, you want to get help for it because you don't want to walk around angry at the world, but, but it's completely justifiable. And we all know that anger can drive us to do a lot of stupid out of character stuff, like react without thinking something through super clearly, or maybe, I don't know, a lot of people have issues with substance abuse. A lot of people have issues in relationships. These are all super common responses. And if somebody doesn't understand what you've been through, they're not going to understand the way that you're reacting to things and that it might be completely out of character for you. So it impacts your social life in so many ways. How can you meet new people and try to restore your life to where it was when these are the things that you're feeling and these are the things that you're going through? You can't trust anyone. She just spoke to it so well and so clearly. But anyway, I went on to tell her a little bit about how this affected me personally, the story of this parking ticket that I got that I totally lost my mind over and how I ended up yelling at a judge named Judge Seaman of all things. And we started talking a little bit more about that and I told her that I just felt like I was always overly protective of myself, like fiercely, defensively protective of myself to a fault sometimes. And not because I wanted to be, but because I felt like I had to be. You used a good word and it was protective. You said, I tend to get really protective of myself. You have to, because that, you you know, once you've been um, vulnerable and exposed, you, you, that's what you do. You're going to withdraw into a shell of protection. And that sometimes comes out as anger because you're like, I'm just trying to protect myself. I'm just trying to take care of myself. Why is this so hard? Like, why is it so hard to just get through life feeling safe? You don't feel safe anymore. That's that lack of trust thing. You, so you're walking through life not feeling safe anymore. I mean, that's a, that's a hard place to be, you know? And it's, it is unfortunately part of, part of what happens from this is it makes you not feel safe and it makes you not feel protected. And if, if, if you're not feeling protected, who, who are you going to put into place to protect you? It's going to be you. That's going to look like anger. But another side of that um, anger is of that protection we're allowed to be angry. People um, react to anger, but they don't react if you cry. They don't react if you say, I'm hurting. If you told the judge, look, I'm going through a lot and I'm hurting right now, they'd be like, here's your ticket. You know, but if you get angry, people, st people stand up and listen, and it makes you feel more in control and more authoritative um, and gives you a little bit more power, I guess, over yourself than any other emotional reaction that you might show someone. Anger is, is often the only thing that seems to work for you to protect yourself. And so we kind of resort to that. So we have this inner anger and it's the one thing that maybe lets us pass the gate sometimes, you know? And we talked a little bit more about how anger can actually be really productive and helpful 
when used in a controlled way. You don't want to walk around being angry because you want to be in control. If you're going to be angry, like I said, you're totally justified to be angry. Anyone who's gone through that has every reason in the world to be angry. But every every emotion you have, you want to be in some some sort of control of it. So anger, you want to be able to control. You don't want to yell at the judge and get sent to jail. You know what I mean? You don't want to be arrested. And so, I mean, you, you want to be able to control it. And, and the more you heal, the more you'll find that I do have a right to be angry, but I don't feel like I'm going to let it rule me or I'm going to let it decide when to show itself. I want to decide that. And, and you sort of take control of it because now at this point, you're trying to take control of as much as possible. So from there, we talked about other ways that healing is productive and important, and that was kind of a good stepping stone, moving from talking about the negative things that come from trauma and how you can heal and how you can grow. So we talked about healing and post-traumatic growth. And what she had to say about healing was so concrete and helpful. All this time, I've been trying to figure out what does healing look like? What does healing mean? How do I know when I've healed from anything? How do I know when I've healed from this whole entire thing? And how is it possible to heal when it's still ongoing? We know that you can't really heal from something that's still ongoing and causing harm as the days pass. And she had so many good answers to this. Talking with her was honestly one of the first times I was like, oh, that's what healing is. That's what it looks like. That's what it means. You can't move to post-traumatic growth without first healing. When you've been traumatized, you have to first heal before you can do anything. And you may stop at healing, which is still a good place to stop. Healing is, a, healing is the goal. It should be the ultimate goal. Healing from any trauma um, it, it is basically a, it's an open wound that you want to not just cover up. You want to actually treat it really carefully. So if you have a gash in your arm, you're not going to just wrap a bandage around it and hope hope for the best. You know, you you could, and, and it'll eventually maybe grow back, but you're going to have this huge scar, and it's probably not going to be, you know, you may get infection and all of these things. So in, in the right way to heal, the best for yourself is to, um, one, take back control of that that wound and look at it and see just exactly what's happened to you. Face Face it head on. And then say, what is the best way to do this? I need to, um, you know, put something on it that's actually going to fight infection and I need and growth of this bad thing now. And I need to get it stitched up properly so that it doesn't scar. I need to, to maintain it and I need to go back to the doctor and get it looked at. And all the things you would do for a medical trauma, which is, which is something um, of severity, you know, something severe and sudden, which is the same thing as a mental or emotional trauma, um, take the same care as you would. You would take yourself to the ER for that. So take yourself to a counselor, like take yourself to the same depths of care that you would for a physical wound and heal it rather than covering it up or hiding it. You wouldn't, you know, sever your arm and put your shirt on and hope no one saw and hide that. You would say, oh my gosh, look what happened. I need to go get help to save yourself. And so do the same thing with mental and emotional wounds or, or traumas of that severity um, to save yourself and do, do everything you can to, to possibly heal from it. And healing is the best word I've ever been able to come up with for this is, again, when you, if you cut your arm, you know, sever your arm almost off, they're not going to just um, 
stick it back on and be like close enough. I mean, you're never going to be able to use it, but it looks great from the outside. You, you want to be able to use your hand again and use your arm again like you were before. Your, your goal is to try to get to as close to who you were as before the trauma happened. So restoration is the word. You want to restore yourself to the person you were, at least to the person you were before. So healing is facing it, fixing it, um, you know, I say medicating it, but I hate to say that for the wrong, you know, don't medicate it the wrong way, but treat it um, just like you would a, a medical wound, get treatment for it, get ongoing help for it, get monitoring of, of the problem and try to heal the wound so that you go back to and restore yourself to the person that you were before. Um, and then the post-traumatic growth is now I'm back to where I was what can I do even better? Like, how can I make this change, make this a changing point, a turning point in my life and really do some good? So I would say like this, you know, podcast, you take a bad experience and you, and you heal and you're, and you're always healing. Healing is an ongoing process. So you're, it's not like, okay, I'm done healing. Now I'm going to do this. You're still healing. And post-traumatic growth is, is a part of the healing process, but you heal to a certain point, and then you say, I'm gonna make this a turning point and I'm gonna do something to help people like me that have gone through this because I now have learned some things. I now know how much it hurts and I want to help other people who are hurting um, because if we, if we band together, we, you know, hurting together makes you hurt less. And so I'm gonna help other people. And that's what post-traumatic growth is, is taking the bad experience and healing first and then saying, this has made me want to do something better for the world to, to help people like me who have gone through this with me or like me. Hearing healing being talked about in terms of restoration was so helpful to me, and I hope it helps other people who are listening too. And of course, this event is something that changes you. You can never totally go back to who you were before this happened, but you can get closer. You can start to do the things you love again. Just recently, I was having a conversation with one of my very best friends who knows me so well and has walked through this whole process with me, and I asked her what I was like before this happened to me. And we had a really long conversation about the ways that I've changed, the things that I used to love to do, and we were trying so hard to brainstorm how to get back to that point in time. It got so in-depth that we started sharing old videos with each other, looking at things from two or three years ago before this had happened to me. And she's been through her own fair share of things too, so we were just kind of listening to old things that we had sent each other and looking at old videos and going through these things and remembering a more positive time in our lives. And we were just like, how are we supposed to get back to this again? And she was like, what if you journal? And I'm like, I could, but I just don't really feel like I could cover anything. Like, I haven't written in so long. And she's like, what about songwriting? And I'm like, I haven't even picked up my guitar in like a year at least. And it feels like I've just totally lost my ability to do anything creative because my brain is just stuck on everything that has happened. But even hearing this idea that me realizing that I want to get back to a point of restoring myself as close to as possible to who I was before this happened and try to remember what joy feels like and try to remember what my personality was like before this happened, I think might be a sign of healing. And I say this because for anyone else out there, it's not that you can just flip a switch and 
heal yourself. Like she says, it's an ongoing process. And yes, you want to be more like who you were before this happened and regain some of those positive feelings you had towards life and your positive worldview before this happened. But it's a lot easier said than it is done. And I think even getting to a point where you realize that that's what you want and you're ready to heal and you're ready to start to move past things and figure out ways to grow and move on, I feel like that's a positive thing. But it's not an easy thing. It's definitely a hard one. When I asked Amy to talk a little bit more about this and these thoughts I've been having and the length of time it takes to begin healing and go through the healing process, knowing that it's different for every person, she had a lot of really insightful things to say about that process. The answer is a lot like grief. And, you know, people say grief goes in these stages and you should process it. Grief doesn't go in those stages in that order for a certain amount of time. It is, it will hit you when you least expect it. Um, you'll pass through one phase and you think you've, okay, I've worked past anger or denial or whatever it is. And you move to the next stage and you think I'm safely past that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself back in it. And you're like, what the heck just happened? I thought I was past that. This is the same way. Healing from this type of trauma, you know, you're going to always have the memory. It's going to always be part of your story. Uh, it doesn't go away. You don't rip that page out of your book and it didn't happen. It did happen. And it's, and it becomes part of your story, whether you tell it aloud or not is, is totally, you know, personal, but, um, you, you carry it with you and, and you try to make something of it where, okay, I had this happen and I'm going to carry on with my life and I'm going to make my life good. Um, and then it's going to hit you and you're going to like, I thought I was past it. I thought I wasn't thinking about it anymore. It's so individualized because if you think about it, we're not all the same person. First of all, we're, we're so many different people with so many different experiences of our lives and we're all at different points in our lives and we're all at different ages and have different backgrounds and, and all of the, have different relationships. Everything in our life is so varied. There's so many variables. And so when something happens, yes, we, it, you know, it might all be a sexual assault encounter um, experience. We don't all then become the same person and have the same experience and then become the same person after that. We're just so many different people and we go into that experience as an individual. And so you're going to come out of that experience as an individual and the experience itself is going to be individual. We don't all have the same experience. You know, everything about it is highly individual and you're going to take, you know, how resilient you were before and, or how, what you'd just gone through right before that, or what you've been through 10 years before that, or you'd had a good 10 years and nothing gone wrong. And suddenly this caught you off guard. It's not, there's no way you can say this should take you about two months. And then after that, you should probably feel this for a couple of months and then you should move on to that. You're going to be like, okay, well, I, you know, I kind of skipped that stage and I feel like this right now. And I've been stuck here for six months and I can't seem to move past it. And then one day you'll be like, Hmm, I think I've moved past that. And it will happen without you knowing just like grief. You are grieving. This is grief for the person you were before who didn't have this experience as part of your story. You're grieving the life you had before, the outlook you had before, the worldview, um, the whatever. I mean, you can lose all sorts of things. There's a lot of loss involved in this. So loss of yourself, loss of your safety, loss of your sense of security, loss of your trust for people. You know, you may have lost 
friends or relationships because of the experience um, or, or other things. I mean, there's all sorts of things that, that can play into what it does to you and how it affects you and how long it affects you. And I don't, I, I mean, I, I think it's a lifelong process, but the hard part of it doesn't have to be the lifelong, it doesn't have to be lifelong. Um, but it's, there's no, I can't say you should take this long or you would take this longer because of this and this and this equation, I would expect you to take this long. There's no guessing. There's no crystal ball. Um, you just, you know, you just do everything you can to bring positive back in your life and to try to restore yourself and don't get frustrated with yourself and don't get impatient with yourself. Don't be mad at yourself. Um, you know, trust yourself. If anybody you can trust, it's going to be yourself to do the best for yourself to restore and to get, to get through it. Don't work so hard on getting past it, but, but healing makes you go through it. And so go through it and learn about yourself along the way and become the person you're going to be on the other side of it. But don't decide ahead of time when you should be on the other side of it. Um, Cause once even you get there, you're going to have spots along the way where you revisit and you know it's just it's part of it's a bad experience and there's there's no way to just ignore the bad experience and act like it didn't happen but there is hope i mean there's all sorts of good on the other side once you get past the really 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 hard part just like grief you think someone you lose someone um you know i remember i had a little brother that died and um he was 20 he had just turned 21 and he died of a brain tumor he had it only a couple of months and I really thought I was never going to get over that. It was, he was almost like a son to me. I was a little bit older and it was so painful. And I remember um, talking to a lady who had lost her own child and she said, it will get easier, Amy. And I was like, I don't think so. And she said, no, no, I know it's not going to go away. You've lost this child, but it will get easier. It will get where you're not just crying all day. And I said, I can't even imagine when that day will come. I couldn't imagine. That's where I was at the time. And it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm still, it still makes me completely sad. And there's anniversaries that bring things up and that sort of thing. But um, it does, life keeps going and good things happen in life. And especially if you try to surround yourself with good things and build things in to build yourself back up and to restore who you are, um, it does, it does get better. It does get easier in, in your own time on your own schedule and in your own way. And don't let anybody ever tell you that you're doing it wrong or that you need to do it differently other than taking, you know, helpful, helpful resources that people offer to you, but take them without the expectation that they will help in a certain amount of time or in a certain way. We've talked a little bit about that before too, how going through something like this is so comparable to grief because it is grief and loss in so many ways. And it can be really, really difficult to imagine things ever getting better, especially when you're trapped inside of an ongoing process. So I asked her about that next. When you report, when you're kind of trapped in the middle of something that's ongoing, if there's ongoing abuse, how do you heal from that? And I loved what she had to say about breaking it down into different steps. You're, you're basically still being exposed to the trauma. And so it's not like even an event that's over now, you're you're having residual effects of it and residual bits and pieces of it still still happening to you, even though the, the experience itself isn't still happening. Um, it, it is kind of, because there are different stages to the experience happening. 
and you know one of those is the actual event and then there's the telling someone about it and then there's you know the all the explanations and all the things and all the everything that goes with telling about it and and either reporting or telling a friend and family or however you you know however you tell someone about it um or if you don't tell anyone about it and you're carrying that around and you're holding on to it that's that lingers it's just going to it's going to have different phases so what you have to do is try to heal from um each phase individually so that's it seems really structured that way but if you can kind of look at it as different phases like there was the actual incident that's phase 1 um there may be there may have been phases up leading up to that um that you need to heal from and then there was the incident and then there was the reporting that's a phase and so how that went good or bad probably bad um you know that's then that's a negative that's another that's an additional experience that you have to heal from and then there's whatever came after that and telling telling a loved one or telling you know however you have to do those are all separate incidents um that are part of the big picture of this experience so the whole thing is one experience so if it's ongoing and and you think about complex trauma you think of children who are in abusive homes they they can't escape they are there um there's no healing going on they're they're continuously exposed to these experiences and um just trying to get by and a lot of times that's the best we can do is we can just try to keep treat, keep going try to get by um and block these things out you end up dissociating and that sort of thing so i would just try to one i would go to counseling i would just recommend everyone go to counseling and start talking about who you were before this happened um who you were immediately after kind of what you felt about everything talk through all of that and then who you are you know in the next phase during reporting how did you feel what did it do to you that sort of thing go through each phase and just talk the heck out of each phase as its own event instead of saying okay it happened 6 months ago and i should be over it but i'm still dealing with all of these things that i'm having to deal with you're still in the event you're still you're still it's one big experience just different parts of it so try to take them piece by piece and heal from each bit um so you can't heal from the you know having to go to court or whatever because you're still in that or whatever it is you're having to do um still with it or deal with someone if you're still having to see the person um you know on a regular basis like we have to figure out a way to to heal with that while it's ongoing um you know every every one of them kind of treated individually as part of a bigger experience and so step by step bit by bit just try to heal about each little little step of the way and i would get emdr if anybody doesn't know what emdr therapy it's eye movement desensitization reprocessing a therapist has to be trained or certified in emdr and they'll walk you through and what it does is helps your brain process trauma and so you you still have it's not like hypnosis you still have the memory but it removes all that trauma um emotion from it helps you not be angry helps you take all of those things out of it it's a process all really good advice especially if you're going to be doing therapy there are so many different options and it's really important to find the right person and someone who's truly trauma informed like we've talked about before 
But I asked her also if there's something that is just like a case that you have that is just going to be open for 20 plus years. People who never have their rape kits come back. People who might be waiting on some piece of evidence for decades or close to decades before it ever comes back. Is it possible and is there hope in thinking that you can heal when something like that is still wide open? Yeah, but what happens... And, I'm, and, I'm, and I work with officers and on this, on how to respond to these and how to treat them. So I guess um, a taste of, of reality about it is going to help a bit, which is when this happens to someone, they want the person found, they want the person caught, they want the person punished, they want, you know, to be vindicated and they want everything to be okay and go back to the way it was. And, and, the reality is that's not typically what happens. So what happens is the police want to know, you know, what happened and they want to document it. You're going to need the reporting if for no other purpose is, is get good documentation. And of course, good documentation does not constitute lies in police reports and libel about your character. But anyway. Now, the rest is you want justice and we should want justice. There's, there's, I'm not ever going to say you're going to have to let that go or you shouldn't try for that. Justice is what it's all about. Like you have to want justice. And if you're going to report, if you're going to go through the process of reporting, which is a painful and difficult thing to do, you want justice to come out of it. You don't want to do that for not. You want to, you want to do it and then see the results of it. That's frustrating because often you don't see the results of that. So you've gone, gone out. And, and made the effort and exposed yourself to people you don't know, you know, in an emotional way and told them this story and you want them to do something about it. You know, doing that, once you do that, you want a result. You want them to be angered with you. You want them to be protective of you so much so that they're like, we're going to get this person. And and you want the next day to them for them to call you and say, we got them and they're in prison and they're going to rot forever, you know, or whatever you want. You want the, you want justice to be served. Very, very, very often that's not what happens. And, and sometimes it turns even backwards on you. And so healing while all that's going on is, is super hard. Um, it's, it almost feels like you're going, like you said, five steps back before you go forward at all. And so you almost feel like you're going backward and then you're going further backward. And then you're like, I'm never going to heal from this because nothing's happening. The way to kind of get past that is to put realistic expectations in place and know that all of that process is very hard. Finding someone who, who did something, improving in all of these things that they have to do as part of the justice system um, is also very difficult. And, you know, yeah, it takes forever to get a rape kit back. And if they even come back and you have to wait for that and you're in the meantime wanting something to happen and it's just a big waiting game and it's a lot of self-doubt and it's a lot of things, um, all of these post-trauma symptoms that I could put a, put a list of. A lot of them are, you know, I said like the sleepless nights and the nightmares and all these things, but it's also guilt and shame and uh, blame and all of these other things that, that process through all of this. And you may only stick in one of them for a day and then think, I'm not doing that. And you move to the next one, but it's all this ongoing process. 
and you can't stop a process until you see something happening. You want an effect of, of what happened and what you did to, to overcome it. And when that doesn't happen and it just keeps staying open, it's that open wound. It's you not going to the ER or it's you going to the ER and saying, oh my gosh, look, my arm is falling off. I've severed my arm and then going, yeah, have a seat. And, and you're sitting there going, I'm bleeding to death. Like you've got to come get, and you go back up to the desk and you say, ma'am, I'm, you know, I need to get in there and bleed. And they say, yeah, yeah, have a seat. And, and it just keeps going and going. You're not going to heal because, because it's just left open. So you have to find some way to, again, go back to those little steps and just take little bits at a time and say, I'm going to deal with this right now. That's going to be something that's totally out of my control but this is in my control and you pick out the little bits and pieces that are in your control and you set aside the others. Don't let them go. Cause that, I mean, they're real. Um, but, but focus on the ones that you do have control over and start with those while you're in this waiting game, start working on the ones that you can work on and the ones that you do have control over and, and, you know, really clearly delineate which ones you have control over and which ones you don't don't give up. Don't ever stop calling because you're like, well, they said it would take a year. You know, if you call that year might be nine months. If you don't call that year might be three years. So all the things that you do to stay on it, those are part of the healing process because you're being productive and back to the word you used a while ago, you're being protective of yourself. So when someone else doesn't seem to be protecting you, you keep doing what you would do for your best friend to protect them in this situation. You keep making that call and you keep doing what you have to do to keep working on things. It's going to hurt. I mean, it's an open wound that's not getting treated. And so there's no way I can say, yeah, you're just going to have to wait it out and, and just kind of let it go. Don't do that. It's an open wound. But, but do at least do what you can do for it and heal the parts of it that you can heal while you're waiting for the other things to come around. And if those things don't, because I kind of equate it to, I mean, it's, it's different, but the, you know, like someone has a child goes missing and they don't find the child and, and they, they're missing for years. I just think that would be excruciating because you don't know. And so it's the same thing where you're just waiting and waiting for finality, for something to happen, for justice to be served. Um, you may wait and justice will never be served. And you may go through this whole process and then they get let go. Um, it's like waiting for an apology that you're never going to get. And you have to figure out a way to find your own closure and find your own healing in spite of the fact that someone owes you an apology and you're not going to get it. And of course, sometimes that apology needs to come from multiple someones, maybe people who raped you in the first place and the people who claim to have investigated it afterwards, but really just investigated you. All of those people are very unlikely to ever give you the apology that you deserve or have any amount of accountability, even though you're consistently holding yourself to account. So the system's a little biased there and really unfair. So how do you move on knowing that that's never going to come? I wish I had better news for you. I wish I could be like, no, it'll be, I don't, it's painful. So that part's kind of a bummer. And on top of that, given in the last episode, we talked a little bit about how people kind of get bored with your pain and your situation. And a lot of times it's other friends you have who have been victimized before, but who haven't dealt with it, who kind of give you the response to just move on and 
rush your healing or don't want to hear about your healing or what you're going through at all. We talked a little bit about that and she provided some great insight. Part of that is that old news thing is people don't want to focus on something that's difficult. I mean, it's like I do, I, I do suicide interventions. It's, I've done it for 15 years and it's people, you know, what I hear the most is I don't want to ask somebody that question. Are you thinking of suicide? Because they might say yes. And then what do we do? Or if someone, you know, someone says, well, I am. And you say, okay, well, start telling me what's wrong. And they tell you one thing. And you're like, okay, let's think about the good things because it's just really hard to hear the hard stuff Well, you're going through it. So, you know, it's hard and it's part of you and you don't get an option whether to listen to it or not. You don't get that the luxury of the choice of it being a part of your life or not. Other people, they don't want it to be part of their life. So they can say to you, you need to get over it. That's because they want to get over it. It's not necessarily even that they expect you to get over it or that they would do anything differently in your place. They just don't know how to deal with it. And they, they have the luxury of the option of saying, I don't want to deal with this. And so the way they don't deal with it is to tell you, don't make me deal with it. <laughs> you know, as cruel as that is, I mean, if people just don't know how to handle stuff when other, when, and if they have the option of not dealing with it, a lot of times it's easier for them to say, you should be over that because they're basically saying, I want to be past this. <laughs> Definitely. And I think it's interesting too, because I think I've also and heard from others as well that they kind of notice it from other people who may have been through something similar, but have never kind of even acknowledged it within themselves more right. than this happened. I'm not thinking about it ever again. So because they're because they have that wound and it's basically you going, let me stick my finger in your wound. Oh, it's still open here. Let me, let me pour salt in there. And they're like, no, no, I never healed that. Don't touch it. Let's just leave it. Maybe it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's vicarious trauma. It's their own trauma. And then they're experiencing your trauma, which adds onto theirs. And this is why I've said before that even though some of my best friends who have had their own experience didn't exactly give me a supportive response, even though it was a good one and that they believed me, but just didn't want to hear about it afterwards because they had been through their own thing that they hadn't dealt with yet. That was why I was able to just respect it and leave it out as part of our friendship. And did it change our relationship? Absolutely. There's so much about me that they don't understand and don't know now. But it wasn't that they were intentionally trying to be unsupportive friends. It was just that they had something that they were working through too. So I just kind of let it go. And I say that because sometimes I think it is really difficult when you're going through something like this and you have that negative worldview and you don't know who to trust around you. It's important to make sure that you don't let the people who do really care about you get away. Even if they're unable to be completely supportive and unable to completely understand what it is that you're going through or listen to it, if they're still there for you in some way, it doesn't mean that because of this, you have to cut them out. If there's anything I've learned from all of this, it's that people are incredibly nuanced in so many different ways. And sometimes I feel like there's a pressure to, especially from yourself, to cut people out of your lives who can't be there for you. But that might not always be the case. And of course, if it is the case, if it's a toxic relationship and they're not being helpful or supportive in any way, kick them out. Who cares? I did that a few times too. But sometimes I think it's just helpful to know that Whatever choices you make about the relationships that you choose to keep are up to you. And it can be nuanced to be able to make healthy decisions about that. It's not always black and white. So anyway, wrapping up this episode on healing, I asked Amy if she had anything else that she would want to add that I didn't ask about or that I didn't cover. 
The one thing I would want to add is anybody who's been through a sexual assault, um, you know, be patient with yourself. Give yourself the same amount of care that you would give someone that you cared about who'd been through the experience and, and be there for that person. And that person happens to be yourself. Like just keep, don't give up. Don't feel like you don't deserve to push for um, whatever progress you want made in any way. Um, if someone doesn't understand that's, that's their, their misunderstanding, not yours. It's not that you did anything or should have done something different just because they don't understand. Not everyone does understand this. Thank goodness is all I can say to that. Like, you know, I'm glad that, that not everyone says, yeah, I've been there. Like, you know, um, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard thing to live with. It's a hard thing to recover from. Um, and it changes the way you look at yourself, but I would really love the post-traumatic growth to be a part of that and say, you know, this, this is going to change the way I look at myself. And I'm going to start actually saying, um, I've been through something. And I made it through something really difficult. And that, that shows that I'm just a really strong, amazing person. And I can do anything. I made it through that. Like, what else life throw it at me because I've got this. And, and really use it to, to reward yourself for having, you know, gone through a life experience and come out on the other side. And if you don't feel like you've come out on the other side yet, you will. Um, give yourself again that, that TLC, give yourself some love, um, do some really positive things, find people that encourage you, find people that support you. Even if it's not in this, in this topic, like, you know, you don't have to share it with everybody, but if you have friends who are supportive of you and, and make you feel welcome and loved and respected and adored and valuable, um, be around those people. And if you don't have them, find those people and just keep, keep being someone um, that, that, that deserves all of that because you do, you've, you've gone through a bunch and it shouldn't deter, shouldn't define who you are. Um, what you've been through becomes part of your experiences, but it does not decide who you are. And I can't think of a more positive way to end this episode than on that note. So again, that was Amy Morgan. And if you're interested in learning more from her, you can visit her websites, academyhour.com and firstrespondercounselor.com. And those will link you to the websites for the trainings that she does that she talked about in the beginning of this episode. So thank you, Amy, so much for spending so much time with me and being so generous in your time. And for all of this great advice that... Honestly, I think a lot of times we don't hear from anyone, so thank you. So like I've been mentioning, this first season is about to come to an end. I'm thinking of doing a second season talking about civil lawsuits or maybe doing some follow-up episodes, but the next episode might be the last. So if there's anything that you'd like to say, anything you want to contribute, anything that you want to add to this podcast, visit survivingjustice.org and go to the contact form, or you can email me at survivingjusticepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much again for listening.